Welcome to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast. This is Michael Bond. Today I'm bringing you a conversation with pastors Mel Massengale and Todd Stanley. Recently we had the privilege of hosting Pastor Sam Masteller for a Back 40 Leadership Workshop. Sam delivered a brilliant polemic against critical theory and how the church must lead through it. Anyway, the workshop was very valuable, and if we're able to post it, I think you'll find it insightful. I say if we're able to post it because we actually had a production failure in terms of audio capture during the workshop, so I'm not sure if the final product will be of sufficient quality to upload. If it's not, then I recommend you check out Sam's other resources on his church website at freedom.life. In this conversation, Mel, Todd, and myself try to unpack some of what Sam presented during the workshop. If you find it valuable, I encourage you to subscribe at summitpodcasts.church forward slash subscribe. This is the place where you will find all of the podcasts we create here at Summit Church. Just some extra housekeeping. I plan on recording custom intros like this one for future Back 40 episodes as well. I think it adds a lot to a conversation when we provide some basic context by way of preamble. I also plan to record exit material which will come at the end of each conversation. This is where I'll put any announcements we might have, so you'll want to make sure you stick around for the end of each episode. There's a lot of exciting things coming in the podcasting arena at Summit, and I'm so happy you're along for the journey. So without further delay, I bring you Mel Massengale and Todd Stanley. All right, so today we are going to, we just had the uh, the fortune of having, or the good luck of having Pastor Sam Masteller for our back for Are you, are you really going with good luck? We had good luck. <laughs> no, I so, really blew that one. So lucky. I, I, at first I thought we just had the fortune, but then people usually, usually use that with, we just had the misfortune. And then I was like, well, it's not misfortune, but then is it? <laughs> no, it was what you said. We had the fortune. We had the privilege. That's what, I, that's what I was looking the for. The opportunity. He was yeah. driving by <laughs> and it's like, we're so lucky. <laughs> he just showed up. We didn't even know he was coming. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, man. Uh, yes, we just had the privilege of having Pastor Sam Masteller uh, here at Summit Church for our Back 40 Leadership Workshop last Saturday. All of a sudden, Sam no longer wants to be on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and, and people that have been around Back 40 for a while, uh, Sam's no stranger to Back 40. He's uh, ten conferences, been on the podcast in the past, yeah. and uh, he is a friend to rural America for sure. He had lots of uh, good stuff to talk to us about, and so I want to unpack some of that today. Uh, but before we do, let's do our uh, This Week in Church Leadership. And Todd, you had a pretty interesting one that I want to hear more about. Yeah, and this may actually tie in pretty well to what we're going to talk about later with Sam, not with Sam, but with what Sam had to say. Um, so Greg Locke, <coughs> some of you may be familiar with him. Uh, this was an article on churchleaders.com uh, that I found. So Greg Locke, who um, yeah, he's a super conservative, um, I guess I, maybe I would say YouTuber. He's a pastor, but, uh, he posts videos on Facebook, especially a lot. Uh, and he's pretty polarizing at times, but anyway, uh, they're having a burning service, uh, at his church coming up, um, so it says he's holding a burning service um, so for occult related materials, so like burning Harry Potter books and uh, the like. So 
this is an interesting thing. This is something I kind of experienced some of this as a kid, like in youth groups, we would, you know, like have a, a record burning or CD burning or, you know, that kind of thing. I just want to, what do you guys think about this? Uh, what does it, is it helpful? Is it, you know, what, what do you guys think? Well, you and I are close to the same age. Michael is a, a wee lad compared to us, but, um, I mean, you probably remember the the uh, hysteria around Dungeons and Dragons when yes. we were, you know, growing up. You know, there was uh, there was a lot of talk in the news and the media. And I remember sermons my pastor preached at the little Pentecostal church I grew up at about. <laughs> I mean, he would take a, a whole Sunday morning message and talk about Dungeons and Dragons, which was funny because it actually made me interested in playing Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> rather than yeah, you yeah. know, it was like. That sounds fun, but I feel guilty. Like, I don't right. want to go to hell, so I don't want to do that now. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but I think, you know, even um, even Harry Potter, um, Twilight, th- those things were developed when I was already in ministry. Yeah. And uh, I never read the books because I was like, well, I mean, I, I heard it's demonic, so I won't read it, you know. Right. But I would have people in our church that would read it, and they would be like, okay, well, should we not be doing this? And what I always the, – the, the position I always took is um, I don't want to condemn something without at least understanding what it is. Uh, that doesn't feel wise to me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'd always encourage parents, like, why don't you read it first and read it through the lens of Scripture, read it through the filter of your faith, and you just see what you think. Um, and is it appropriate for your child? Um, and probably for some of the listeners even right now, they're recoiling a little because they're like, well, that doesn't seem right. But um, as an adult, I've engaged with <clears throat> Harry Potter, like the movies. I, have, I hadn't seen or read the books, but um, but I feel like there's things that are much more offensive to my faith that are much more acceptable in some ways to Christian as to Christians than Harry Potter or twilight twilight's offensive just because it's bad it's not because it's morally offensive just my my taste is offended by that so Uh, so that's the thing too is like uh do is it more valuable for us to cultivate that uh that that filter of faith or that interpretive structure in our children so that they can navigate a dangerous world and understand it properly than it is to try to like I would say in a futile enterprise, try to remove all of those dangers and those potential uh, shipwrecking, or, you know, faith shipwrecking things. I just don't think that's a good idea. Like there, there was a, in my hometown, my first hometown, uh, when I was a little kid, the, they wouldn't screen the Harry Potter movies. And mm-hmm. they had some kind of post hoc rationalization, like, oh, we don't want the children jumping from the rooftops thinking they can fly and stuff like that. But really it was the, I think it was the conservative Christian community in yep. the area that they were upset with. I think maybe they were upset with the popularity of the books even. Like if something's mm-hmm. not making a significant impact culturally, uh, then it usually doesn't get picked up on the radar. And mm-hmm. so I think that for some reason, whether it's like archetypal patterns or whatever, the Harry Potter books resonated deeply with people. And I think that when something resonates deeply with some, with, with a, a group of people or a population, you should try to find out why, and you should try to uh, understand yeah. that through the filter of your faith. And look, that's not, Harry Potter is not going to be the last thing that comes around like that. Yeah. And if we just protect everyone from those things, uh, I feel like that creates like an atrophy effect and people aren't able to navigate on their own. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that it's, uh, well, 
as pastors, as parents, as leaders in any you know regard in, in Christian community, it's important for us to help people to to be able to filter things through a biblical lens, you know, and to live in a way that, well, where that's a, an active part of what they do, where they're seeking the Lord and asking Him for wisdom and, and you know, in godly community, asking other people what they think, um, and so that they're able to make wise choices um, in regard to whatever it is that they may be consuming, whether it's, you know, Harry Potter or whether it's, you know, your favorite medical drama yeah. that you know that has mm-hmm. lots of adultery and you know absolutely <laughs> backstabbing and you know whatever else and so uh, you know I think I think that's definitely the a, a more effective route the thing that, that like when coming back to the article the question that I would have for us is you know um, are these kinds of like sensationalized honestly modern day book burnings right or, mm-hmm. or is is that beneficial for us? Is it helpful to us as all, at all as followers of Jesus to be to be seen in that kind of light? Honestly, I think there is a demographic in our world that that probably really appeals to. That it plays to, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, you know, it goes back to what you said, Todd. As a youth pastor, and we were talking about this before we started, <laughs> but as a youth pastor, we would do like, hey, let's get rid of the sin in your life. Bring your, you know, your secular CDs and. Bring your whatever, and we're gonna break them. We're gonna break the stronghold of Satan. And um, and I realized as I got older, it's much better for me as a shepherd to help instead of saying, "Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what's acceptable and not acceptable." Help them understand. Um, here's what's acceptable and not acceptable. Be mature enough to make, be able to make those choices without me being in the room with them. Uh, and even here in our church. There are very few times that I will stand up and make a public statement about a movie or about a whatever it might be because it's like my goal is to help you be mature enough mm-hmm. to make these decisions when I'm not standing there with you, yeah. you know, that I don't have to hold your hand. Um, and part of this goes back to what Michael had said as, as far as like are we trying to protect our people or are we trying to – Are we trying to keep our people safe or make them strong? Because if we're making them strong, they're going to understand what it means to be mature and what it means to, you know, be consistent in their faith, no matter what kind of media they're engaging with or whatever it might be. And I think just book burning in general is a bad look for anybody (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm, I'm of the opinion that you don't, you don't get rid of bad ideas or bad talk by canceling it, but you get rid of bad ideas by having better ideas. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so, hey, let's have a dialogue. Uh, because again, let's be honest, C.S. Lewis is celebrated and Tolkien is celebrated. But um, if you've ever read Lord of the Rings, there's some dark junk in, the, yeah. in those books. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and to me, it's just as dark as Harry Potter, but... Maybe even more so. Yeah, but one is a notable Christian thinker, right? Right, right. And so <laughs> we dismiss it because we go, oh, no, it's a, it's an allegory, right? <laughs> yeah. But I could make a pretty strong case that there are a lot of allegorical elements in Harry Potter as well. Right. So I think, it, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we carry an agenda into some of this stuff, and that's what kind of upends all of it. Well, I know for me, too, as a, you know, I'm going to reveal the wickedness of my heart a little bit, I guess. As a kid, like... And I don't think I was alone as a kid. I think there are plenty of adults that do this as well, by the way. Uh, whatever gets delineated 
by mm-hmm. those in authority, mm-hmm. that is the limit to which I would go. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like, oh, well, he said, you know, I can't yeah. listen to NWA, but he didn't mention Tupac at all, right? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. So, you know, so then then it becomes this kind of letter of the law, uh-huh. ignore the spirit of the law kind of thing. And I think that's a real danger when we preach and teach in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have to separate ourselves from this idea that we can reproduce the ideal here and now. I think that's where this kind of thing comes from, this idea of like getting rid of Harry Potter and anything that smacks of secularism or idolatry or cult-like behavior. We just want to keep it away from us because we can reproduce the ideal here. Mm -hmm. But the, the issue with that, though, there are stories in Scripture of people who are disobeying God. What are we going to do with those stories? Are we just going to get rid of those too? Like because mm-hmm. of the offense, it, because it offends our sensibilities? Like that's the thing is like, maybe we need to be able to look on wickedness and look on evil in order to have an example of how not to do it sometimes. And then what are the implications of this idea for our kids' ministries, for mm-hmm. example? So now I'm speaking out of ignorance here to some degree because I don't have kids, but I've thought for a while that maybe our kids' ministries in the Big C Church are too innocent, that they're they're not telling the full story. Um, and I don't know at what age the full story <laughs> is appropriate, but yeah. I, I do know that if a, a, a child grows into you know their adolescence, or even it could even happen, God forbid, as a child encounters evil, and they are not prepared for that. They don't mm-hmm. have a, a narrative framework which accounts for the reality of evil. They will be traumatized by yeah. it. And so what are we trying to do here? And so where do we go with that? It sounds like you're advocating we change the murals and kids' wings at churches across America. It's like, hey, we're not just going to show the rainbow. We're going to yeah, show no all the more. people drowning in the flood. Yeah. Like, okay, kids, Michael said we got to show you the evil, so I want you to encounter evil now. Yeah. Not, the, not the ark with all of the cartoon animals That's hanging right. out of it. It's, the big eyes. Like it's a, all the drowning people. It's like a uh, – what is the, the – Oh, they have the chapel in Springfield, the precious moments. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the precious moments, except they're all drowning. That that would be a precious oh, moment. <laughs> oh, no. That would be a precious moments I would buy. I would buy that statue. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> we have gone off the rails. Um, but to your point, Michael, uh, I think there's discernment that has to be had there. Yeah. You know, obviously kids not equipped to um, to intellectually deal with all of that mm-hmm. at too early an age but you don't you don't want to isolate your kids either um, and so honestly in some ways I would say that really is the domain of the parents um, that as a church we're to come alongside the parents and to help disciple yeah. their children in that regard. But we certainly don't want to be um, guilty of kind of pushing the envelope there, but doing it too soon. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like we want to, I don't know, that's, that's tough. Well, I think, I think there's a balance there. And I think, um, okay, so pastors, pastors will understand this. I think there's, typically a couple of kinds of pastors when it comes to their kids there's pastors who who share all of their garbage like every bad thing that happens in the church their kids know about right and then there's the other end of the spectrum where they never hear anything bad 
And I think both of those can be unhealthy. For sure. Right? <clears throat> um, because then the first time they realize, oh my gosh, a, there's a board member who hates my dad. They're like, what in the world? Like their world is upended. Uh, but then the other end is they're bitter and because it's like, oh, we're living this life and we're this, it sucks and people, you know, people are angry and that's all they see. Yeah. So they're embittered and maybe, maybe don't like church or God or anyway. And so I think the answer is there's got to be a balance, you know, when it comes to what are we, what are we allowing into our kids' lives and, and being good stewards with our kids, just going, hey, we want to show you that, yes, evil is real, but, you know, um, in this world, you'll have struggles, but I have overcome the world, mm-hmm. right? So God is bigger than that. Yeah. Um, we can we can we can have faith and trust that Jesus is good, and you know. But there is there is evil, and there is consequences for evil according to Scripture. So, I mean, I think we can balance that, but it is it's it's a tension that we have to manage as parents. Yeah, yeah, I really like that, Pastor Mel, about the idea of um, f- framing the view of evil and darkness. Uh, with the perspective of despite all of that, Jesus has overcome the world. And so yeah. you have hope in him. And Todd, you had said once that um, one of the things to watch out for when looking at wickedness or evil is to not become enamored with it. Yeah. Um, so you can study it, but be careful because it's easy to become enamored with it. And then mm-hmm. it kind of sucks you in. And I think that's another danger people should watch out for. Um, so speaking of the woes of ministry, uh, I read an article, (laughs) (laughs) smooth transition. I like that. (laughs) Um, I read an article by a pastor who cited a Barna study saying that about 38% of ministers, uh, have given real serious consideration to quitting the ministry in the past year. Obviously COVID is a huge part of this. And, um, so for a couple of reasons, one, it's crushed uh, church attendance all over the, the country, maybe yeah. all over the world. Yeah. And like, as much as we don't want to talk about attendance, it hurts to see, you know, your people not coming, you know, and, yeah. and all those relationships and stuff. Um, the other, the other thing with relationships is that so much of the mitigation efforts have been directly uh, deleterious or like harmful towards relationships. Like you can't go visit people, like you have to mask up and all of this. And so, he suggests that this kind kind of creates like a perfect storm for essentially hurting ministers. And the thrust of what he's trying to say, I think, is that you can exit the ministry without damaging all of your relationships that you made in the ministry. And so let's talk a little bit about um, maybe there's some pastors who are listening to this who they know that it's their time to do something else, but they don't know how to get out. And what would you say to people who are in that spot? Because I don't think it, I mean, you can tell me what you think about this too, but I don't think it'd be the most healthiest thing to say to those people, well, just grin, grin and bear it. Keep going. Yeah. Like, yeah. like suck it up kind of thing. Because I think that you can harbor a lot of bitterness and resentment and then that'll come through in your ministry and, and that doesn't do anything good. So mm-hmm. what would you say to someone who, you know, no one wants to, I don't think very many people want to admit to this, but there's probably people who are just ready to get out. So how yeah. do they do it in a way that doesn't set a bomb off in their congregation and, and destroy all of their relationships? Can I start by going back to something you said earlier? I did, I did yes. the same thing. I'm like, I, I Googled, look, I did this. I Googled <laughs> deleterious. Oh. <laughs> I was just, I did the exact same thing. I was like, currently looking up deleterious. I, I, I well done. I could was that not, the word of the day on the calendar or something? Or? No, no, I could not think of a different word in that situation. So I have this 
this thing that plagues me where um, I'm trying to think of a word to describe a particular phenomenon and words like that come first and then i try, have to try to like so i immediately after that i said or harmful or like yeah. negative you know some i tried to like define it but for the plebes that don't understand what <laughs> deleterious is okay perfect a, it rolls off the tongue though i mean i kind of like it yeah uh i'm glad i'm not the only one that makes me feel better um so so here's the thing you're exactly right um and unfortunately, sometimes as pastors, that's the advice we give people in our church when they're like dealing with something and we go, oh, I'll be praying for you. And that's kind of a default to be in some ways of like, I don't know what to tell you. Good luck. I hope it works out, you know. Um, and so when it comes to pastors and, you know, I talk to a lot of pastors and um, and a lot of them have struggled. Thankfully, a lot of their finances are doing okay or it would have been even worse, but a lot of them have struggled. And a lot of them yeah. were, were saying the right things like, oh, well, our attendance isn't up back where it was, but it's fine, you know, we're celebrating other things. But, but it's not just about the number, it's about the people. And so I think we don't want to admit that we're still grieving the loss of relationship, but we are. Yeah. And so um, it's not enough just to give, you know, just some sort of like, platitude of you know well i believe in you it's going to be okay and you can do it i believe that but at the same time you know i think there are things that pastors need to look at objectively and go okay what hap what would happen if i took an extended break from the ministry here and not leave not quit ministry but what would happen if i went to the board at my church or the yeah. my denomination or whatever and said i need eight weeks i need i need pulpit supply for eight weeks um, can you do that? And if you can, that's what I need to do, you know? Um, and that's really hard. A lot of churches couldn't afford to do that, uh, yeah. pay a pastor and pay an interim or whatever it might be, but it has to start in some places like that. Um, cause the, the truth is leaving the ministry is not the answer. Um, you're going to trade one set of problems for another set of problems. Mm. Uh, and especially if you're legitimately called to ministry. Oh, yeah. um, and I think sometimes people think a divorce, like, man, my marriage sucks. I need to get a divorce and my life will be better. Well, mm. maybe biblically, no, but what scripture says is not to, not because it's unforgivable, but because you're just trading one set of problems for another set of problems, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you're trading dysfunction you don't know for dysfunction you do know. And so I think for pastors, it's easy to go, man, it would be so much better if I just got a job. Well, yeah. maybe, but mm -hmm. if you're selling insurance or selling cars, well, now you've got a different set of problems and mm -hmm. you're functioning outside of your calling. Uh, maybe that's something you do for a season, but I've seen too many guys, uh, and I say guys, and girls, women, people leave ministry and then they never get back into ministry because they just, well, they go, well, I'm making a decent living and I don't have to yeah. worry about sister Johnson being angry at me and, you know, fighting with a board, but you're functioning outside of your giftings and your callings. And mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I know for me, like there've been seasons where I wasn't uh, on staff at a church, right? Mm -hmm. Where I wasn't. Um, and, and there, there have been a couple of those, honestly. If I'm, you know, there have been a couple of those that this the situation I was in before that season was difficult, mm -hmm. and I even would say I, I don't know if I ever want to do church ministry again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I've I've, I've yeah. been in that place where I've said that, um, but really, what needed to happen, like in that season where I wasn't on a staff at a church, 
uh, I, I what I really found was that I just needed a break. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And like it wasn't long, you know, yep. a couple of months, six months, maybe, you know, whatever, where I was like, man, I'm, I miss ministry. Mm-hmm. I, I, I need to be ministering to people because that's my calling. That's my heart. Uh, and so that doesn't insulate us from see, from those feelings of of being overwhelmed. It doesn't insulate you from burnout. It doesn't keep you from needing a break, but recognize it for what it is and then find a way to make that happen so that, you know, you can get along with the Lord and allow some healing to come into your soul and some rest and some, you know, um, and we've come through a particularly difficult season as church leaders. It's not, I don't know that it's over, honestly. Um, (laughs) I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're a ways away from being done. Uh, And so, you know, but don't, don't, uh, don't abandon ship uh, just because you may need a break. Take the break you need. Well, and I would, I'm going to sound like I'm talking on both sides of my mouth now, but I would also say, I think there's some people that are, have gotten involved in ministry, vocational pastoral ministry, that probably shouldn't have. Yeah. They love God, they love the Bible, they love people, and there was a need somewhere, and they said, I can fill that need. And that's where we have to come back and go, okay, is this is this what I'm supposed to give my life to? Am I supposed to be a vocational minister, or am I supposed to just love Jesus really well and serve the local church in another way? And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but the problem is when you're, when you're functioning outside of what God has called you to do, you know, um, when you're not being faithful to what it is God is asking you to do, that's a problem. Whether you are a pastor and you should be a layperson, or whether you are a layperson and you should be yeah. a pastor. So I think that it comes back to that. Like, God, what have you really called me to do? Cause I will tell you, um, the easiest way to break a tool is to use it the wrong way. <laughs> and I think for us, um, sometimes we get broken because we're being used the wrong way. Right. Right. Um, and so it's like, man, I'm a lead pastor, but you're not wired to be a lead pastor. Maybe you should be a number two for somebody or maybe you should be, you know, so I think that that's part of it. We have to go, okay, am I tired because of the season we're in because of the stress I'm, or am I tired because I'm functioning outside of my gifting and my calling? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's a question we have to ask too. Yeah. So I'm hearing two, I think what are really important ideas here. The first one being that, um, you might think that, leaving your current spot or leaving the ministry will solve all of the stressors that you have in your life. But uh, like with a a failing or failed marriage, um, generally what happens is that those things that happened or that, you know, plagued you in that situation are going to reach forward into your next situation. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, you will have new problems surface that you maybe didn't anticipate. And then you got to deal with those too. Yeah. Cause some of the problem is my own unhealthiness. Cause I've been in seasons like Todd where it was like, I was unhealthy in ministry. I had an unhealthy pace. I was doing youth ministry and I knew God was shifting me and we left uh, vocational ministry and I was just volunteering at a church plant and I I had the intent of never doing ministry again and the pro- uh, vocational ministry. But again, the problem wasn't the ministry. The problem was what I was wrestling with yeah. in my own heart. So when I left the paid position and went to the volunteer position, I st- I still took that with me, right? Because it wasn't circumstantial. It was me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you have to be really careful about making uh, maybe like 
judgments about yourself and your circumstances that are not thought through enough to consider all the possibilities yeah. of like what's really happening. Yeah. And so yeah. maybe just not be so convicted in what you think is right yeah. uh, whenever you're trying to make those kinds of key decisions in your life and try to really look for the input of other people and kind of try to figure out what kind of patterns you're manifesting that could be unhealthy, those sorts mm -hmm. of things to try to really inform your decision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would say too, like if you're a pastor and you know, these are some red flags maybe to look for. That that seems to be the trend right now on social media, right? Red flags. So, so these are some red flags. Like if you're looking at the people that you're serving and going, if I could just get rid of that person or this mm -hmm. person or you know, those are those are those are indicators really that there's there's something that's going on in you. Um is that person the devil? Maybe. Maybe they may be <laughs> awful. I don't know. Um but I mean, and I, not to, I, I, I hesitate, but I'm going to say it anyway. I mean, Jesus literally dealt with the devil, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, you know, and I don't mean that to, sh I don't say that in a, in a, to shame anybody or whatever. Yeah. I'm just saying like, whenever our, whenever our, we, whenever we get myopic in our view and think that there's a person or a particular thing that is causing all of this angst or causing all of this strife or causing, then that's, that's, that's a dangerous place to be because more often than not, that means that we're looking in the wrong place that, that really we need to turn the lens in on ourselves and figure out what it is in me that is, you know, to get the beam out of my own eye before yeah. I try to take the speck out of, you mm -hmm. know, Brother Jim over there. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So uh, one of the things, I think one of the principal things that is really weighing down <clears throat> on the shoulders of ministers right now is what is happening in the culture. And in my estimation, what we are dealing with is something like a religious awakening that is surrounding a, uh, a cult that, uh, you know, you may have heard of as critical theory, as woke, um, as uh, these, you know, these sorts of terms are often ascribed to this worldview. And the people who hold to the, these ideas hold to it with a religious fervor. And what I mean by that is that in the presence of clear evidence of the logical fallacies of what they believe, you know, violations of laws of non-contradiction, all these sorts of things, they still hold to the beliefs. Mm -hmm. That means that their beliefs are faith-based fundamentally. Yeah. Um, and they're also willing to go very, very far uh, and to, what would you say, proselytize the worldview. Okay, so this is in large part what Sam Masteller was talking to us during the Back 40 Leadership Workshop. Um, he provided what I thought was a very eloquent indictment of critical theory, um, and he described you know, the, the reasons why it's not tenable, why you should not pursue an, uh, an ideology like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the, well, and he like talked the biblical about, comparison. Yeah, how, it, how, how it's um, not just contradicting scripture or contradictive to scripture, but it's oppositional to it. Like, so it's, it's not just that they don't work well together, but they actually mm -hmm. are opposed to each other. Yeah, so much of it is, is, is diametrically opposed to what Christ is teaching. Yeah. So like the, even the phenomenology of canceling, mm -hmm. that is the opposite of forgiveness. Yeah. And there are many things like that. Uh, you know, the idea that there is no truth that you can apprehend mm -hmm. is the opposite of what Christ teaches. Yeah. And so, you know, one of my many problems with this, 
uh, and we can just chew on this one to start. If you tell someone that their well-being is a one-to-one function of systemic oppression, you <laughs> rob that person of their agency. You're telling them mm-hmm. there is nothing you can do to make your own life better. You are you have been dealt the hand that you have, and the only way it's ever going to get better is if you destroy the system around you. And by the way, we don't have a system to replace it. Yeah. And and that seems to be the pitch. And the problem with that is a it turns everyone into a victim. And I've never I've never been able to uh, I don't think I've ever seen someone who uh, espouses a victim mindset able to improve their own circumstances or improve themselves or add anything of value to the people around them. Yeah. Uh, So where do we go with this? Like what, what, what is the, first of all, let's just, this is such a, like a, uh, (laughs) this problem is so vast, like this gas cloud of bad ideas Mm -hmm. that we have to kind of just pick one out at a time. So let's just start with the, the, the idea of your well-being is a one-to-one function of, of what the system is doing to you and and you can't do anything to solve that well uh, let me let me start by saying this i think a lot of pastors look at these kind of issues and um and i think there's two camps one says i'm not going to engage no matter what and then one says i'm jumping in both feet right yeah and there can be danger in both of those that's where we've got to be balanced and as pastors we need to be wise a lot of rural pastors especially, this stuff maybe is not in your community yet. Um, maybe you're not dealing with uh, teaching some of this stuff in school, or but there are enough people in your community that are engaging in culture that it's seeping in, even if yeah. it's not dominating. And so if it's not to your town yet, it will at some point. And you need to be ready to engage it on whatever level you feel like you need to. But but with that said, <clears throat> I really do feel like a lot of the things our culture is dealing with is not new. It's it's just repackaged things that we've been dealing with for the entire history of humanity. If you look at the stuff that um, that we're talking through, and the specifics might have shifted a little bit, but generally speaking, you can look at the Gospels. Uh, you can look at the epistles, like Paul's talking to the church. And he's talking to them about some of the same things we're talking about, race, um, you know, finding our identity in our ethnicity primarily or in our nationality primarily or whatever it is. Like Paul's addressing this stuff then. Um, they're talking about sexual immorality and how it gets into the church and we start saying, well, it's okay to do this and not to do this. And and it's part of what I believe. I mean, it was all this stuff mm-hmm. was, you know, the, the worship of Diana in Uh, Ephesus, like all this stuff, they were bringing their beliefs into the church. And so really a lot of this stuff is not new. It's just repackaged. It just looks different. And so this is stuff we've been dealing with for thousands of years. And so I think pastors feel this unique pressure, like this is somehow bigger or, and maybe this is leading up to the end times. I don't know, but I feel like if pastors will just take a deep breath, relax, um, have a good idea of what we believe, what is biblical, filter everything through right. that, not Fox News and not any other news source, but we just say, okay, what is the biblical view? It's going to help us um, walk through this so much better. So I didn't answer your question um, because I, I wanted to frame that as we were getting into that. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. So so go back to the question. So um, the question involves, if I'm going through school, for instance, as a young child and into middle school, high school, and I'm told over and over again mm-hmm. that 
my future, not only my well-being now, but my future well-being depends on whether or not I am systemically oppressed. Yeah. That robs me of my ability to think that I have any class mobility on my own. And like you said, this isn't a, a new problem. And that comes with a bitter pill, I think, because what that means essentially is that this is not a fad and that so it's not going to go away on its own and this may be the big problem this mm -hmm. may be like the the competing worldview with uh with a christian worldview the one that we've been plagued with and been dealing with from the beginning i mean i think you can even look at the story in the garden of eden as the first thing the serpent does is try to eliminate a power differential essentially mm -hmm. you'll be like god right. mm -hmm. and so you've been oppressed yeah it's it, it's it, to think of it that way, mm -hmm. uh, it may, it brings a sense of peace in this, in a way because it's accounted for in scripture, mm -hmm. but it also is like, it brings a sense of, oh, this is a really deep problem. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. way yeah. deeper than a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. So the thing that we have to acknowledge, I, I say have to, the thing that I want to acknowledge is there are problems within systems, right? Mm -hmm. And there are, there are, there's injustice in your community where you pastor, where you're leading right now, no matter how big or how small the, the city or community that you serve is, there are issues, there yeah. are problems, there are inequities, there are injustices, there are things. And, and as believers, as followers of Christ, we are sent into those places to, to bring the kingdom of God to bear, to relieve suffering, to help those who are oppressed, right? To take care of the widows and the orphans and the poor. And the, we're supposed to do those things. Uh, and so we, we need to first acknowledge that sometimes we've not done a good job of engaging those issues in the way that we should. And we need to do that. On the flip side of that, when you're talking about these these worldviews, and, and I think Mel mentioned it a minute ago, what's critical for us is not necessarily that we understand all the ins and outs of critical theory. What's more important is that we understand the the clear teachings of scripture. Absolutely. That mm -hmm. we take Jesus seriously, not only as our savior, but as a teacher mm -hmm. yeah, and that yeah. we follow the way of Jesus. Uh, I've been reading in Hosea lately and there's that, that verse is, I think it's Hosea four, six, right? Where um, Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people mm -hmm. die, you yeah. know, are perishing for lack of knowledge. Um, when he's talking about knowledge there, that is not like, um, book learning or, right. or book learning. That's not that book learning. <laughs> it's not, it's not an intellectual knowledge that yeah. he's talking about. The, the word there is the same word. Like when it says Adam knew Eve and then mm -hmm. they conceived a son, it's intimacy. It's the knowledge of God. It is yeah. knowing and walking with Jesus. It's the, the Hebrew word is yada, right? And it's when, you know, and so my people perish for lack of intimacy with me. They mm. don't know me. They are not acquainted with me and my ways. And if we'll do that, if yeah. we will make our aim and our goal to to truly follow Jesus and to help those the people that we serve and that we're called to pastor to truly follow Jesus, then I am convinced that the light of the gospel is much brighter than the darkness of this world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I agree with 100% of what you just said. I think it starts with that. And I think the problem is we, we flip it slightly and we go, well, yeah, 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 I get that. But, but. this is primary. And, 
And we do need to know, because I think, Michael, you're kind of alluding to this. I, I think the the false gospel of our age is woke ideology. Yeah. Um, because it really is a false gospel. It is not a political position. It is it is a different kind of gospel. And I use the word gospel in quotes uh, right. because it is not truth. Um, it is it is faith-based, 100%. Um, and it's all about where we're putting our faith. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, a lot of the things they espouse are morally, you on the surface, good, right? You look at it and go, well, hey, we want everybody to have opportunities. Right, like who would argue with that? Right, mm-hmm. we and lift so out of, yeah, we yeah. want we want people to be better off or whatever it is that, and that's what it looks like on the surface. But below that, it it really is, um, it it takes a faith in something different than Jesus to yeah. to yeah. to um to I guess immerse ourselves in that that false doctrine that ideology the, i think the reason why this is so dangerous or why this is more dangerous let's say than the scientism of the enlightenment or like the humanism that that, that comes with you know an, an obsession with the with with an aversion to any kind of faith-based presuppositions i'm i'm only going the way the scientific method and then i become a secularist who turns into a humanist etc mm-hmm. i think this is worse than that because i think that this is not the goal of this ideology is not to turn you away from the church or to to get rid of the church i think the goal of this ideology is to change the church as it is into some kind of mission so here's an example and todd i want to get back to what you said because i really like the, the, the point that you made because i've been thinking about that like whether we need to master critical theory in order to because here's the thing and i asked this question of sam Masteller during the leadership workshop it seems like the reason why most people are afraid to stand up to this uh kind of proselytizing that happens in the culture is because they they are not able to explain their own position with sufficient sophistication in order yeah. to avoid being cast as like a simple bigot yeah like if because yeah. on on its face it's like oh you must be for poverty you must be for oppression you must yeah. be for like all and so that's what it ends up looking like if you're unable to explain your position yeah. now i thought that you had to know Okay, so James Lindsay is one of the the most excellent polemicists of critical theory. So he knows critical theory inside. And he's read all the literature, and he's able to talk about it in a way that makes sense. Um, but I think there's another way to do it. And I think what you, you touched on that with, if you're able to articulate scripture, if you're mm-hmm. able to articulate your worldview as founded in scripture, you can also lean on the authority of God in that situation. And... Um, you know, then you have an out, you have a way of saying, okay, it's not my bigotry that's making me say this to you. It's my faith in God. Mm -hmm. And here's why. And then you can walk them through the scriptures in that way. So that's another way of doing it. And I think that's probably the best way of doing it, honestly, when I really reflect on it. But getting to this idea where this kind of thing is trying to change the church, I want to read to you guys a very short poem written by Karl Marx um, as he was either a teenager or a very young man. Um, It's called Invocation of One in Despair. This has... Uh, theological uh, flavor all through it. Um, It starts out, so a God has snatched from me my all in the curse and rack of destiny. All his words are gone beyond recall. Nothing but revenge is left to me. On myself, revenge I'll proudly wreak. On that being, that enthroned Lord, make my strength a patchwork of what's weak. Leave my better self without reward. I shall build my throne high overhead cold tremendous shall its summit be for its bulwark superstitious dread 
for its martial blackest agony. Who looks on it with healthy eye shall turn back struck deathly pale and dumb, clutched by blind and chill mortality. May his happiness prepare its tomb. And the Almighty's lightning shall rebound from that massive iron giant. If he bring my walls and towers down, eternity shall raise them up defiant. Now, like, when I read that, I think... <laughs> That's grim, man. This, yeah, wow. This, this has God written all over it yeah. like from a perspective of someone who hates god yeah uh now i look there is no god and i hate him right yeah. those are the two main tenets of atheism yeah. So, yeah. so that's yeah. the thing is like i don't think this is about moving you know so so many of the humanists will say well, we need to move past religion into a, a brighter way of being or yeah. into a more intelligent way of discourse and you know where we can all live in harmony and all this i don't think that's really the the base level motivation here. And I think that writings like this, uh, they expose a motivation that's mm -hmm. a lot darker. Okay, so do you agree that the, the movement behind critical theory or wokeness or whatever we want to call it, whatever modern label we want to give it, do you agree that that movement is seeking to change the church? Uh, and how do we maybe how do we preserve the church against that maybe it goes back to what you said todd about just leaning on scripture having a good understanding of the things of god and being able to talk about it maybe it's as simple as that yeah i mean i not only the church i think they they want to change the world right uh the problem is they don't know what they want to change it into for one and they're the means by which they want to change it is essentially just to burn it down. Um, and I don't... Well, and I'll disagree with you. I, I don't know. I think a lot of people who have that ideology have a, a utopian aspiration. Like, man, if this is so broken, if we just do this, you know, yeah. like the burning it down is a means to an end. I think that's what they they believe. That's what they believe, yeah. Yeah, so hey, we're going to get rid of the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, yeah exactly. Is. We're going to get rid of the patriarchy. We're going to get rid of... You know, um, um, I mean, uh, oh, the free market. We're going to get rid of, you know, capitalism. Yeah. We're going to get rid of this, and then things will be better. Um, and so I really do but think. it has been tried already. Indeed. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it, they have utopian aspirations, and, that, and that's the thing. The most dangerous people are the people who do bad in the name of good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and I don't think. There are people that are fundamentally going, um, how can I, how can I destroy God, right? Like Karl Marx, like how can I destroy the church? I think they really do have good intentions. Like I think a lot of them really do think the church is flawed and broken, and I want to fix it. I want to make it right, and and so I think that's the only way for me I can approach people with that kind of ideology. Because if I demonize them then we're in opposition like mm -hmm. they're an enemy to conquer and they're not uh they are yeah. they are someone to love to salvation right absolutely um and so i think that's where the answer is yes like we have to anchor ourselves in our affection for christ in our knowledge of who he is and what he's done what does the word of god actually say um let's know it let's get it in us so that we can so that we can have intelligent conversations with people who have been um, 
washed up in this ideology that we can go, okay, well, wait a second. Um, Here's what it says in the book of Ephesians. Here's what Paul says in Galatians about about race and gender. Here's what, you know, let's walk through this together um, and in, a, in as loving, good faith way as possible. Because we can't control what other people do, but we can control what we do. And as pastors, we need to be, we need to be equipping our people to have not just conversations about this kind of stuff, but just how do we how do we bring our faith to bear on a Monday morning in the office, yeah. right? How do we make this livable? Um, Cause it is livable, right? Scripture is the most practical book ever found. Um, but how do we help our people engage it in a way that they go, okay, here's how we live this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think it's both. Yeah. You help them understand here's the prevailing thought in our culture and here's what it seemingly is overtaking our culture. But Here's what the word says, you know, um, here's who Christ is. And I think, again, this might be an oversimplification. I really do think if we can help people see the beauty of Christ, um, it's amazing how, how that will, um, eliminate some of the other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. How when people have an encounter with Jesus, um, that's where it's like, okay, I don't understand it. I know something is different though. Right. Mm -hmm. Because everything else is counterfeit. All that other stuff. It is a knockoff, um, of what is only found in Christ. It could very well be the case that the reason why this thing has surfaced and spread so rapidly is not because of how attractive it is, Mm -hmm. but because of the space that we gave it mm-hmm. by not by being lukewarm Christians or mm-hmm. by not being well studied Christians or not yeah. uh, living out our faith. You know, when we don't do those things, it's not like not doing those things just leaves us at zero. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like it's just, okay, well, there's this, there's this status quo of all things are good. And then when we stop being Christians or we stop being effective Christians, it just stays there. Mm-hmm. Like, no, when we stop doing what we're supposed to be doing, we, we open up a space for other things to come in. Yeah. And it, maybe it's just the case that people are, are thirsty for religious fervor, for, for zeal. You know, mm-hmm. so <clears throat> I think it's something like 97% of the world's population believes in some kind of God. Mm-hmm. So we're designed with a religious impulse. And part of the problem, one of the reasons why you should not forsake the gathering of the saints and why you should be going to church uh, is because you have a religious impulse. And if you don't express that in church, it's going to start expressing itself in domains that are not fit for it, like politics, yeah. you know, in other places. And so, um, maybe, I don't know what you guys think about that. Do we just not understand ourselves to the point where we think, Oh, you know, we're, we're okay. We, we don't, we don't need church anymore. And then, and then that thing rushed in and, and now it's captivating so many people who are nominally Christian and, uh, yeah, I mean, yes, we are historically good at deceiving ourselves or allowing ourselves to be deceived. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, um, I, as you're talking, one of the things I've been thinking about, though, is that uh, even when we look at Scripture, even when Paul or, you know, even when they're addressing some of the prevailing cultural issues, like, uh, you know, there's evidence, for example, that some of the writings in the scriptures are addressing some of the errors of Gnosticism, mm-hmm. right? Things like that. But even when they're addressing those issues, I, I find it very interesting and very telling that scripture doesn't go, here are the fallacies of Gnosticism, dot, 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 dot. 
Paul and the writers of Scripture simply present the surpassing glory of Jesus. Yeah. Right? And our problem is that we often don't know how to express the surpassing glory of Jesus. We are yeah, biblically really illiterate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I am convinced that our problem really is biblical illiteracy, not a lack of understanding of critical theory or secular humanism yeah. or, you know, what whatever other yeah. you know, worldview is exalting itself against the obedience yeah. of Christ. Well and that kind of goes back to what Michael was saying too. I mean I mean, the, this pattern is not new, yeah. right? Like, look at the book of Judges. The book of Judges, the, there's this cycle. Well, hey, they're in captivity. They cry out to the Lord. They experience revival. They put away their idols. Then things are good. And they forget that they need the Lord because things are good. And they go to idols, and they fall into captivity, and they call out to the Lord, right? Yeah, yeah. And And this is this is fundamentally who we are um, if, if we're not anchored in Christ, and if we don't know what the Word of God says, and we don't um, aren't walking in intimacy, like you were saying earlier, with, with God, then we are, we're all prone to idolatry. Um, yeah. And that's really what this is. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's idolatry. Mm-hmm. We are worshiping something other than God. Yeah. Um, yeah. And idolatry, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's woke ideology, whether it's, um, you know, a, a literal false God, whether it's, you know, I've, I've put my own physical health, I've put my family, I've put my job, I've put my success, I've put my finances, whatever it is, it is all separating us from God. Um, but that's what it is. It's idolatry yeah. ultimately. Yeah. I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, you guys have both provided a, a, um, simple tool to move forward in this climate, which is to know God and know his word and to, uh, express the, surpa- the surpassing glory of Jesus. I mm-hmm. think that like focusing on that because it can become overwhelming for people. Yeah. It's like, okay, I, I wanted to be a minister. Now I have to learn all of, I have to read the literature on all of these bad ideas, which the literature is famously difficult to read because it's just word salad. Like it's really, <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't make sense. And part of the faith is pretending like it makes sense, even though it doesn't make sense, which makes it even more difficult to read because mm-hmm. you have to read something that doesn't make sense and try to make sense of it, which Okay. So that's hard for people. And I think when they think that's what they have to do, they quit the ministry. They feel like, okay, well, this is like, what am I going to do? I I don't, I I didn't sign up for this, Mm -hmm. but they did sign up for knowing Jesus and knowing his word and, and expressing the surpassing glory of Jesus. And I think if you do those things, like we talked about, that's the way out. And if, yeah. if, if we are going to get out, that's the best bet. It, it could be the case that we're not getting out, <laughs> that, that we are in a culture in decline and, you know, Western civilization is, is plummeting. So a 45 degree angle into the mountain, you know, but, but why not be faithful to the end Absolutely. Uh, anyway? And well, so. and it, it is terribly messy. Um, this isn't clean and linear. It is a, it's messy cause you're dealing with human beings. Yeah. And, and so it's one thing for us to give some feedback, but the truth is you're going to have girls in your church, 13 year olds that are struggling with their, uh, sexuality and their gender. And, you know, how do we engage them and their families in a godly way and, you know, help them understand what the truth of scripture is while still loving them really well, you know, like that stuff is messy. And so pastors don't just bury your head in the sand. You need to be acquainted with some of this, but at the yeah. same time, it really does come back to, man, let's love Christ really, really well. Let's model that and display that and then help our people do it too. Yeah, that's great. 
I think that's a great place to end it. Mel, Todd, thanks guys. Everyone listening, thanks for hanging out. Okay, so I hope you all enjoyed that as much as we did. At the beginning of this episode, I said there are exciting things coming in the podcasting world at Summit. One of them is a whole new podcast called Sermon Discussion. The format for the show is a sit-down conversation with one or two of the pastors here at Summit, where we will unpack some of the key ideas from the weekend message. I intend on using actual clips from the weekend audio as we talk about each idea. That way you don't have to go looking around for it yourself. Anyway, I'm very excited about this launch because I think it's going to add a whole new dimension to what you experience on the weekend. Before you go, make sure you rate and review Summit Podcasts wherever you listen to it. Also, remember to subscribe at summitpodcasts.church forward slash subscribe so you won't miss out on any of the newly released audio. I hope you have a good week. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.